Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, family. Uh, today we are beginning, Pastor Aaron mentioned earlier, we're beginning a new series of studies. And if as we begin this new study, it's on Ruth. And Ruth really is a love story, a beautiful love story. And so maybe we better pray before we dig into this. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the blessing of the church that we can gather together and and made us members of one another in the body of Christ. And even in this local assembly this morning, we welcomed a new member in the early service, Pat Kelly. And, and um, you have put us here in community that we might love and, and each other and encourage one another. And uh, you also have blessed us in bringing us here together, giving us the opportunity to gather. And as we gather to worship you and as we gather to not only sing to you, but to sing to one another to encourage us, but you also give us the privilege of hearing from you. As we come here to your word and we open it, we are hearing from you. So Father, speak to us. May your word touch our hearts. May we, as we listen, not only Listen, but understand. May we not only understand, but really hear, take it to heart. And may your word transform us and make us a little more like Jesus. Because we are here today with you and hearing from you and with the family. So bless these moments as we study together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here as we come to this book of Ruth, it is a story that is set in a period of time in Israel's history that is called the Judges, a period of time described in the Old Testament book of Judges. About 400 years, it lasted about from about 1500 to 1100 BC, the time between when the children of Israel came to the land of Israel. Moses brought them there from slavery in Egypt. God delivered them, brought them to the land under Joshua. They settled in the land. And then it was about 400 years from then until the first king, King Saul. And that's the period of time here, the judges. But if you know anything about this time in their history, these were the dark ages of Israel's, of their history. They were years that were filled with cycles of wickedness and violence and of neglect of God. The last verse of the book of Judges sums up what this time was like. It says, in those days... There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. A period of lawlessness, and again, for the most part, they rejected God. Cycles of 
of little brief times where they followed him, but mostly running away. Against the darkness of those days, this story of Ruth shines brightly. It's a beautiful love story set in an ungodly age. Not only is the real-life drama a beautiful storyline, it is beautifully told here in the pages of Scripture. It is said that when Benjamin Franklin served as the United States ambassador to France, that uh, while he was there, he would occasionally attend meetings of the Infidels Club. The Infidels Club was a group of men who, first of all, they considered themselves scholars, and they met to, their primary thing they did was to search out and read together masterpieces of literature which most people didn't really know about, you know, kind of the hidden gems. They also considered the Bible to be worthless. They scorned the Bible. They looked at it with derision as just a, an obsolete fantasy or whatever. So on one occasion, Ben Franklin took this, the book of Ruth he changed the, the names and a few, few little details so it wouldn't be recognized as something from the Bible. And he went to a meeting of the Infidels Club, and there he read the story of Ruth. When, it, when he was finished, everyone there was just overcome with admiration for what a beautiful story, what a, a wonderfully told um, short story, and they were unanimous in their praise, and they demanded that Ben Franklin tell them where he had discovered this jewel of a story. And of course, with all of his satire that Ben Franklin loved, and his, he, he enjoyed telling them, hey, it's from the Bible. They were sufficiently embarrassed, I guess. Well, we're going to spend six weeks drawing some wonderful lessons from this marvelous little book. Follow with me as we begin here in chapter 1, and I read some verses from Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of the wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I'm going to stop there for a moment. A Jewish family was living in Bethlehem, and there they were having a hard time. They were having a hard time because food was scarce, because there was famine in the land. And so 
this family, Elimelech the husband, Naomi the wife, they decide to take their sons and to leave Bethlehem and to leave Israel and go over to the neighboring country of Moab to live for a while because things are apparently better there. It's about 50 miles from Bethlehem to the center there of Moab. About like going from here up to Bowling Green, if we want to put it in our way of thinking. And so they went. Then sometime after they've settled in Moab, Elimelech up and dies. Now Naomi is a single parent of two boys. We fast forward a few years, the boys grow up, and they marry Moabite women. We fast forward about ten years after that, and all of Naomi's dreams of a better life are shattered For both of her sons have died, neither of them having any children. Now it's just three widows living in poverty and in misery in Moab. And that's the title of our message this morning, Misery in Moab. We pick up the story in verse 6. Then she arose... That's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. And may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she, that's Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. 
and there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of of barley harvest. This is such a tragic tale here. We watch a nice lady, Naomi, whose name means pleasant, become a very bitter woman. We know that she is really pleasant not just in name but pleasant in person, in life because she has two daughters-in-law who are absolutely in love with her. And we know that doesn't happen by accident. It's not a coincidence. It only happens with a lady who is truly kind-hearted, gracious, and pleasant. But when Naomi returns to Bethlehem after some 15 or more years away, all of her friends, when they, they come to greet her, they can hardly recognize her. I mean, is this, is this really Naomi? Bitterness has changed her. Changed her inwardly, changed her outwardly. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter. Mara. There are many things in this story that we could learn from, many things we could comment on and spend some time examining. We really don't have time to do a lot. So I just want to focus on four key things this morning from this text. Four keys to keep us from getting lost in bitterness, to keep us from getting drugged down into grief or depression when we find ourselves facing misery in Moab. As life can be hard, every one of us sooner or later will face times of loss, times of heartache and heartbreak, times of disillusionment and discouragement when life gets hard. And we might wonder, how do we not become someone who is bitter? How do we guard against that? How do we guard against being someone who is swallowed up in grief? Someone who is destroyed by depression. Four keys 
that I find here in this chapter. The first is this. Remember that God is in control. God is sovereign. It's a key theme of this book. Ruth reminds us, the story of Ruth here reminds us that God is at work. The name of God, Yahweh, his name is used 23 times in this short little book. It's clear that he really is the, at the core of everything. He is the leading character, although his work is all behind the scenes. But we see him continually at work, providentially orchestrating events and working in the lives of people. You will see as we continue in the story in the weeks ahead, there's a lot of, and it happened. And so it was that, and just, oh, you know, mere coincidences. But there aren't mere coincidences. On the gravestone of some friends of mine back in Salem Springs, Arkansas, they died as college students when we were college students together. A young couple, and it says on their tombstone, words written by their parents, which very much fit these dear friends. It said, with God there are no accidents. God is always working. This truth is a key to avoiding bitterness. And yet, if we look at what Naomi has said in this chapter we've just read, we realize that she is absolutely convinced that God is sovereign and God is in control. In verse 20 and verse 21, she calls God the Almighty. She uses another name for God there. Yahweh is used all through this book, but she calls God El Shaddai. God Almighty. So why is Naomi bitter? If, bitter, if, if this is one of the keys to not being bitter, why is Naomi bitter? Well, she's bitter because she recognizes God is Almighty. He can do whatever he wants. He is sovereign. He is in control. And since this has happened, God is responsible. He did it, and I'm ticked. God is responsible for the calamities that have come upon me, and I don't like it at all. And so she is bitter towards God. Naomi does believe that God is sovereign, and that's a good thing. But she is bitter because she is missing some other key things. Actually, at least the next three key things that we're going to see this morning. The second key that we need if we're going to not be swallowed up in grief and wiped out by our misery and our problems is we need to seek God above seeking solutions. See, knowing God, following God, obeying God, loving God needs to be a higher priority for us than finding solutions to our problems. When we focus on solving our problems, when that's our focus and that's our priority, we will very often miss God at work in our problems. Even worse, 
When we focus on solving our problems, very often the solutions that we try, the solutions that we come up with, are things that are not what God would have us to do. They are not godly things. They are things that, instead of taking us toward God, take us away from God. And they are things that, instead of solving our problems, they ultimately create more problems. Back to the story, Naomi's problem started when, with a famine in Bethlehem. There was no food, probably because there was no water, no rains. She and her husband Elimelech would have done well to pause for a moment before they started strategizing, how are we going to fix this, and start asking why. They would have done well to remember the words of God who had promised that he would bless his people in the land. When he settled in the land, he said, I will bless you here. I will prosper you here in this land as long as you follow me. But God also said that if, you rebe- if they rebelled against him, if they followed other gods, he promised to withhold the rains and to send famines and bring judgment upon them to get their attention. We find all that back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And he said there, God said, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commandments and decrees that I am giving to you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. What curses, you might ask? Well, the sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you will be iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder and it will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. In other words, God says, if there's drought and famine, the cause of it is sin and rebellion of the people of the land of the Israelites. But God also says, when you go on reading, that if they will turn to him and follow him, he will bless them. But see, Elimelech and Naomi really didn't pay any attention to that. And rather than working to end God's judgment by seeking God, by turning and repenting of their sin and turning to God and and trying to get other people to turn and to follow God and to turn away from their rebellion and idolatry and other things, instead of doing that, they decide, let's go to Moab. There's no famine over there. We might wonder, how do we know this famine really is a judgment from God? I mean, don't famines just sometimes happen in the world? Well, you can maybe wonder that, but I take note that the famine was in Bethlehem, but it wasn't 50 miles away. Just as you get out of the border of Israel, there's no famine in Moab. There's famine here in Lake St. Louis, but not in Bowling Green. That's interesting. And when we think, what did God promise? Huh. And then we might want to excuse Naomi. After all, she is a really nice lady. She's probably a very godly lady, and she's just being submissive, a good submissive wife to an ungodly husband. But I note that when Elimelech dies, Naomi doesn't say, oh, 
Now finally I get to go back to Israel, to the people of God, and because that's where God promised to bless us, not over here. But she doesn't leave. She stays. And then we notice that she stays until her boys grow up, and then she finds, she either allows or more likely arranges for her boys to marry Moabite women. We say, what's the problem with that? Is God prejudiced? You know, is he a racist? No, that's not the issue at all. It was very much against God's law for Israelites to marry foreigners. He says it here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your hearts away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. God said to the Israelites, don't marry people from other lands and other gods because they'll turn your heart away from me. Don't do it. But Naomi marries her sons off to Moabite women. See, Naomi may have been a very nice lady. And I think she well was. But the bitterness that she had in her heart and some, if not many, of the troubles in her life were because she had the wrong focus. Her focus was the dream of a nice life. You know, a little house and, and a nice husband and some kids and a dog and a, and a car and a little white picket fence. And She had her picture of a nice life and And her focus was that nice life. And if something comes in to interfere with the nice life, let's find a solution to that to fix the problem so I get my dream for my life. That was her focus rather than focusing on, I want to know God and follow Him. She professed to have faith in God, but living that faith was not her priority. As I thought about this this week, I thought, you know, she would have made a really good 21st century typical American Christian. Because we all struggle with that, don't we? We have our plan for our life. Here's what I want for my life. And whenever God says do this and it's not fitting our plan, we're torn, aren't we? And sometimes we walk away from God's plan and we go our way. Yeah, this is Moab over here. There's God's plan over there. Hmm. I realize that Naomi was a very nice lady, but she was not following God. It really wasn't her heart. In Matthew 6, Jesus warns us against this very tendency to focus on the wrong things in life. Things like, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And we go, well, those are really important things to worry about. Jesus doesn't say they're not important things. What he says is don't worry about those things. Don't make those things your priority in life. And then he says something absolutely radical, he says, and many of you know this first, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
And this is a nice verse that many of us have memorized, and we've learned to sing it to a, a tune or two, and we've, we maybe have put it on a little plaque and put it on the wall, and we put it you know, on the, in a little note in our margin of our Bible, and we love this verse until it comes down to living it. And when seeking his kingdom first is going a different direction than what I want, we struggle. And it's all fine when my plans are lining up with God's plans. But when it starts to take a detour, I often make seeking solutions (laughs) a priority rather than seeking God. Do you have a struggle with that? That is what's happening here in the life of Naomi. Jesus says, though, when we put... Knowing God and following God first, the other things work out. We need to learn that lesson. There's a third key for us here in avoiding becoming bitter when life throws challenges in our path. The third key is this take note of your blessings and be thankful. We need to recognize and rehearse God's blessings and give thanks for them. And they are all around us. Even at times we think there are no blessings to be thankful for. It's interesting that in verse 21, Naomi says, I went away full and I return empty. Our dear, sweet, nice lady just lied twice. And I'm not meaning to be harsh on her because the reality is, you know, I'm telling my own story very often. But she lied twice. First she says, I went away full. And if we think about that for a second, we think, wait a minute. No, you went away because you thought you were empty and you thought full was over there. Leave God's country here where he told us he's going to bless us and where he's judging us and let's get over here to Moab because it's getting good over here with the ungodly people. It's all right. (laughs) She thought she was empty. And now she says, I was full when I went there. Well, looking back in hindsight, she was. Secondly, she says, I return empty. Second lie. You see, again, we, if you look at her life, yeah, she has suffered, and I don't mean to minimize the devastating losses she has experienced. They're real and deep. Some of you have walked paths like this, and you, you can say better than I how deep her losses are. But she's not empty. She just needs to open her eyes and see several things. First of all, she is still alive. She could be in the grave with her husband and her sons, but she's still alive. Not only is she alive, she's in good health. Pastor, I don't recall reading that. Well, they just made a 50-mile journey from Moab to Israel, and she didn't catch a train. She didn't fly a plane. She didn't ride in a car. 
how'd she get there? Well, she either walked or she rode some animal. And if you're not in good health, you really don't do either of those things for 50 miles very easily. She's in good health. Not only does she, is she alive, she has a home. Now, when I say home here, I'm not meaning that she has a, a nice three-bedroom little brick ranch house in, in Bethlehem with a picket fence around it. I'm saying that, meaning that Bethlehem is a home. She has a hometown. She left as a refugee in their minds. They were fleeing a famine. They went to a foreign country. They intended to stay there, that everything was going to be good. But now that things fell apart there, she has a place to go back to. And you say, well, that's not much. Well, there's millions of people around the world today who would disagree with that. They have fled places, and there's no going back. They have no place to go back to. What a, they would say, what a luxury and what a gift it would be have a place to go back to. When she gets back home, she has friends, apparently many of them, and I don't even have to tell you how valuable friends are. What a marvelous gift. We later find out she also has some relatives. She has family. See, she's not totally empty. And those are ones that might get easily overlooked. But one of the ones she shouldn't overlook, one of the biggest things in her life is walking right next to her and who hears her say when she shows up to her friend, I left full and I come back and I got nothing. I am empty. And Ruth is there going, I just left everything (laughs) to come here with you and what a tremendous lady this is. How, how many mother-in-laws would have a widowed daughter-in-law follow them to care for them? I'm going to go take care of you all the rest of your days. Wow, that's huge. The other ladies in the town get it. They get it over in chapter 4. We'll see when we get there. They say, you have Ruth, who is worth to you more than seven sons. She is Ruth. More than that, most of all, she still has a God who cares about her. Naomi has no thought that God is still with her, but he is. And he has been working and is about to work some marvelous things in her life, even while she says, I got nothing. You see, we need to We need to remember, no matter how deep the pit that we find ourselves, we need to remember our blessings. Name them. What blessings are in my life? You don't have to look too far and you'll find some. Name them. Secondly, give thank God for each one of them. Thirdly, repeat often. (laughs) Go back and do it again and again. That is key to keeping depression and anxiety and fear and misery and bitterness at bay. There's one more. And that is this. Oh, I, I'm going to read this verse. I shouldn't skip this. It says there in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... 
with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Don't miss those two words. Present your request to God. See, we often take our problems to God. We pray about them. But we forget those two words and their key. Because when we take our problems to God and leave them there, and when we also take our blessings to God and remember where all of our blessings come from, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the lights in whom there is no shadow, no variance of turning, James 1 says. When we do those two things, it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus is when we turn to him in prayer and in thanksgiving, he will give us peace. There's one more key here, and that is this. Trust the goodness of God. Naomi believed that God is sovereign, but she doubted that God is good. This story is a reminder that God loves and cares for his people even in the darkest of times. Even when we can't see it, God is working good for his people. Many of you know Romans 8.28. If you don't, this is a good one to, to write down and to memorize it. And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. In the years when Naomi was growing bitter, bitter towards God because of her circumstances, something different was happening in Ruth. See, Ruth was a Moabitess. She grew up worshiping the gods of the Moabites, the idols But while Naomi is growing disillusioned and growing bitter towards God, Ruth is changing. See, we discover here in this chapter that Ruth is coming along with Naomi because she loves Naomi and she's going to care for Naomi. But when you read carefully, you realize it's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. You see... We notice in verse 16, she's not only leaving her home and leaving her people, but she's leaving the gods of the Moabites in order to follow the God of Israel. And we realize that she's not just going here for a little while to put on a little show, but she's making a lifetime commitment because she says, look, Naomi, after you're gone, these are my people And this is my God because she says, where you are buried, I'll be buried. Where you die, I will die. I'm going here. This is what I'm choosing for life. Something has changed in Ruth. Naomi has warned Ruth that when she goes to Israel, her only future is that she is going to be there. She's going to be single. She's going to be childless. And she's going to face rejection and prejudice as a Moabite. She says, that's what awaits you there. And yet, Ruth says, I'm going. And we wonder, why is she going to do that? If it's 
singleness, childlessness, and rejection from people, why would I ever go there? We find the answer in the next chapter where it says this in chapter 2, verse 12, and we'll get there next week. It says, May you be richly rewarded, speaking to Ruth, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, what has changed in these years? The same circumstances which have caused Naomi to grow bitter toward God and bitter against God, these same circumstances are driving Ruth to go seek God out because she has come to realize that Yahweh is the true God and He is good. She is seeking refuge. See, she is seeking refuge and hope in Yahweh God. Because he's true and he's good. What she's going to find is more than anyone ever dreamed. And that's in the rest of the story. You know, so many folks live like Naomi looking for peace and joy in all the wrong places. They're never going to be found in our circumstances. Those are only found in trusting a God who passionately loves us so. He loves us so much that he became one of us to die in our place to pay for our sin so that we can have relationship with him. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life forevermore. That's the story of the Bible. We'll get more of that as we go through in the next few weeks. This morning, if you have yet to do so, yet to trust Jesus as your Savior, I urge you to do that today. God loves you so much. For the rest of us who are believers in Jesus, I say that this story is challenging us to live out what we profess. To love and follow Jesus as our, the priority in our life rather than seeking our plans or trying to solve our problems. Let's make our first priority. Jesus, I want to follow you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. What a marvelous, marvelous story it is. And yet... So much more important because these are the things we struggle with. I dare say most of us in this room have struggled with being Naomi at times. Maybe that's where we are right now. We're in a season where we have gone off following our own plans and we've abandoned you because somehow we think that you really don't have our best interests at heart and we get deeper and deeper into it and deeper into problems and The more we try to fix everything, the worse things get, and we ultimately find ourselves bitter. May we remember that, yes, Lord, you are in control, but you're good. And so we seek you above our solutions. We always take note of your blessings. We're thankful, and we trust your goodness. May those things characterize us both for our good and for your glory. In the name of Jesus we ask, amen.
May God bless you as you grow in your walk with Him this week.